Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to be with you again. It's Pastor Jim. Uh, I am so thankful for this church on this Mother's Day weekend. God bless all the moms out there. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for being mom. And uh, thanks for joining us for church today. Uh, Real Life exists to lead people to Jesus and to be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. Uh, and we are thankful for the moms that bring about each generation and shepherd us through our growing up years and, uh, and get to care for us through life. Um, realize that as we take part in this, this mission as a church together, as we take part in this vision, it, it's not irrelevant that there's a vibrant church in this community now where for a long time there was a, a church that was, was kind of barely hanging on and it looked like there could have been no church at all if they had just closed the doors or sold the property to a developer. And now there's a vibrant church in this neighborhood. That's not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant that there are a hundred kids and families who are reached with the gospel in the chapel at our preschool every week that before, there wasn't a chapel before we were here. Uh, it's not irrelevant that almost a thousand people get groceries from the church uh, every month in our, in our pantry. Uh, and it's not irrelevant that behind the scenes there are people taking strides of faith and becoming Christians and reading the Bible for the first time and being baptized. Those are life-changing, world-changing, eternity-changing things. And, and so realize you're part of something critical when you worship and when you give and when you volunteer, when you take part in the life of the church. Uh, it, it's so important and I so appreciate what's going on uh, in, our, in our context. And, and moms are kind of the same way. Moms, moms take part in our daily lives, whether they're you know, fixing breakfast for us or going off to work or caring for us or helping us do homework. And it's little tiny incremental things, none of which by itself seems to be huge. But, but moms shape who we are. They're not irrelevant in any way. And it's the, it's the little things that are contributed day to day that make a tectonic change in our identities. So I'm thankful for moms, I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start a, a new series of teachings today um, that are, that's really speaking into our, our modern world, our, our modern uh, uh, milieu, because we're in this situation now uh, where artificial intelligence has emerged. And you see this all the time in the news. I don't know if you've played with any of the artificial intelligence devices, if you've gone on ChatGPT or uh, Amazon's uh, social bots or, or whatnot, but there's four or five of them out there now that you can interact with. And I've done this. And people are worried that artificial intelligence is going to start to take away jobs, is going to level employment. Uh, Bill Gates and Elon Musk have both said we need to slow down the development of artificial intelligence because of the damage it will do to the workplace. So I've gotten on these things to play with them um, to see how, how they work. And, and they're impressive, but they're not they're not going to take over. Uh, I, I asked a, an artificial intelligence, if I ride a bicycle across a bridge that is suspended above glass and nails, is, is it going to pop the tire on the bike? If I ride on a, a bridge that is suspended over glass and nails, is it going to pop the tire on a bike? And the artificial intelligence said, oh yeah, you're definitely going to pop a tire on all that glass and, and nails. It couldn't, it couldn't, spatially recognize that if you're suspended over it, you're not touching it. So I'm not really worried about the robots taking over anytime soon. Uh, if they do, we'll just bicycle over them or whatnot. But it's a, it's a significant marker in the shifts of culture that we have developed technology with the goal, with the aim of 
taking away work from us, making life so easy that the machines can do it for us. We've done that so well that now we're afraid we're going to have mass unemployment. Well, like when, when appliances started being developed over 100 years ago, when there were dishwashers and microwaves, the goal was to take labor away from us so that we had more free time. And all we did was fill the free time with more work. Uh, one income families weren't enough, so now two income families are everywhere. Right? We, we develop more and more technology to make life easier and easier, and now we're afraid of the technology that we've built. So, so you have that dynamic going on, and now in the wake of the pandemic, we have the, the great resignation in a season in which people don't want to work. Every one of us has been in some business or restaurant where it says, please be patient with us, we're understaffed. So, so we're in this, this ironic mix of we, we develop machines because we don't like work, we quit jobs because we don't like work, we're afraid of the machines taking away work, but we don't really want the jobs that we're programming the machines to do. And what I want to talk about in this season is what Jesus has to say about our work, about our productivity, about our, our, our life involved and engaged in the world. Does Jesus have anything to say into all this modern mess? Because it is, it is the mess of this era. We, we have a confused relationship with work. And I want to see if Jesus can't set us straight. So that's what we're going to look at starting today. Take a minute and pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you have called us to life and to purpose. And I ask that you'd fill our hearts with a desire to follow you wherever you'd go. Call us out of laziness. Call us out of exhaustion. Call us out of ambiguity. And give us direction in this life. Help us to use our lives well. To expend our energies on things that are a blessing to the world around us and an honor to your kingdom. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to I start this series uh, on work. Uh, and if you have a friend out there who doesn't like their job, this is the perfect series to invite them to. If you know anybody out there who's not enjoying working right now, this is the season. I, I want to start our series by looking at the book of Genesis and looking at where work began. And looking at where our resistance to and our resentment of work began, because it began in the beginning. And so if you'll open with me in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, right there in the first chapter of the Bible, we're going to pick up at verse 26. And we're going to join uh, Adam and Eve, right? They're, they're, they're created, they're shaped for a purpose. And then you're going to see their rebellion against God and the consequences that fall on them because of their rebellion against God. Look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, you, you might notice the, the, uh, the third person, uh, the first person plural there, uh, let us make humankind in our image. And theologians have wondered, what, who's the our? Who's he talking to? And some have said, well, it's God talking to the angels. Somebody said it's the first reference to the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, one Jewish rabbi said that he was talking to uh, the animals 
because human beings are part spirit and part animal, and so he's saying, let's make it in, in our image. Make of that what you will. But, but the goal is uh, we're going to make them so that they rule over all the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So humanity is created with a purpose. They're not brought into being and said, hang out on the couch and watch Netflix. They're not created and said, you get to live a life of vacation. They are created with productivity in mind. They are created, they, we are created as stewards of the earth. We're created as gardeners who are given a garden and told, tend to the garden. Now, you know the story. I'm going to skip some of this and we're going to go down to uh, Genesis 3.16 to look at what happens. But uh, a serpent comes along, a snake comes along and tells uh, Eve to eat from the fruit of the forbidden tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she does. And then she calls Adam over and she says, uh, hey, Adam, uh, I've invented a new idiom. And he goes, uh, what is it? And she says, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And so he eats the fruit too. And, uh, and, and so they're, they are fallen. They're, they've rejected God's command. And now they're going to be evicted from the Garden of Eden. And so Adam rejected perfect peace with the creator of the universe and a world without sin or pain or evil, all to impress a woman. Right, Because there's a reason, maybe, that Cupid rhymes with stupid. And so they're evicted from the Garden of Eden. Now look at the punishment that's dealt out on them in Genesis 3 at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The, the punishment for her is that the, the natural course of relationships will be marked by pain and hierarchy. They will no longer flow naturally. They will now exist. The, the bringing of life into being will exist with pain. Relationships will be broken by uh, ruler, uh, rulership and control. Right? There's no longer a freedom that goes with her existence. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The punishment for Adam is the, the tending of the ground. The work will no longer flow naturally. Work will now be hard. See, he was already created to work. That, that came with the creation. It's in the breaking, the severing of the relationship with God that work becomes difficult. The, the, the desire not to work emerges as a result of a broken relationship with God. Eve held out this, this forbidden fruit to him and said, here, take and eat. And, uh, and he, he, he ate it. And at that point, he had chosen disobedience to God over a natural, unbroken relationship to the Father. 
right? And when, and when God called him to account for it, all he could say was, I can only hear Adam's voice in the voice of the Disney character Goofy, right? I would, gorge, it's her fault. <laughs> right? He's broken the natural connection that we should have with God for, for a moment of, of self-indulgence. And work then, the punishment for work is that work will only come with stress and strain. Work was not the punishment. Work was the natural order. It was the natural place that we belonged. And work flowed naturally from a people who were given a garden to tend. When we break the connection to the Father, we break our connection to the source of life and purpose and direction. And that's where the difficulty of work emerges. Jesus will later say, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do no good thing, right? Branches don't have to stress and strain to grow because they receive nutrients from the vine. Grapes growing out of the the branches don't have to stress and strain to grow. They just naturally receive nutrients nutrients from the vine. If you get really close to a grapevine, if you drive up and down Napa Valley and you get really close to a grapevine, you will not hear the grapes grunting and straining to grow. They're not sitting in the vines going, "Mm, it just just flows naturally because they are connected to the vine. Jesus says, from the creation, you were separated from God. You broke faith with God and work became stressful because the natural source of nutrients, of life, of purpose, of love, of meaning, that was broken. But in me, in Jesus, the connection is restored. When we believe that Jesus died for us on the cross, we are forgiven. And we re-enter into a relationship with God, the God who made us and who loves us and wants us to have good life. And I, I kid you not, I say this with all the crassness and offensiveness that it sounds like, life with Jesus is easier than life without Jesus. I don't just mean it's better like we know we're loved. I mean, when we reconnect ourselves to the source of nutrients, life should become easier because we can trust Him to take care of the things that we have always worried about. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus will say. Come to me if you're tired because I am not going to put a burden on you. Reconnecting to the vine puts us in a more natural flow of work where work should come to us more easily. And so the the modern problem with work is, is not that work is bad. It's not that we're not made for work. And it may not even be that we can't find the right job. It's that we've broken ourselves off from the source of purpose. I saw this played out uh, in a, a powerful way in the life of a friend of mine who had gone through a number of different jobs, uh, none of which really satisfied him. For a while, he was a police officer, and that is a stressful, exhausting, dangerous job. And he was, he was worn out by that, so he left that job. He worked in construction for a while, and it was pleasant enough, but it was hard work. It's physically exhausting. It left him drained, so he left that job. He went and he owned a, a, a nursery, and he sold plants for a while, and that was easier. He liked that, but the, the economics of uh, you know, fasting and, and feasting based on what the customer wants, that was exhausting too, and he left that job, and then he felt God's call to go into mission work and to move to Haiti and to work at an orphanage down there. He took his whole family, his wife and his kids, and they moved to Haiti, which is a a dangerous place to live. And he began to rebuild a broken down orphanage there. 
And the skills that he had learned in construction came into play as he rebuilt the structures of the orphanage. And, and Haiti, which has suffered devastation environmentally because of the, the planting that uh, America has done down there, that we've poured crops into their land and, uh, and basically lot, robbed the land of a lot of its uh, natural uh, produce, he went in and with his, the skills he had adopted as a gardener, as a nursery owner, he began to uh, replant the landscape with natural plants and trees to restore a natural order to the, the landscape of Haiti. And with the skills that he had learned as a police officer, he began to teach self-defense to police officers in Haiti so that they could uh, try to uh, maintain peace in a, in a society that's often disrupted. And, and my friend Eric found a place of calling like he had never had before. It was all the same skills he had already developed. It was the same skills he was using in different jobs in the United States. But instead of being in a state of exhaustion, he found himself in a state of fulfillment because he was changing the world and literally saving the lives of orphans by using the skills that he had acquired and connecting with God in ways he never had before. Now, you and I live in an era in which people feel disconnected from work. Work is exhausting. It's, it's not life-giving. Uh, people have begun to do studies uh, in the, this uh, new relationship with work that we have. There's a guy named David Graeber who's a sociologist. Uh, I believe he's at the University of London. Uh, and he wrote an article prior to the pandemic, and I cannot tell you the name of it because it has a profanity in it, and you're good church people. But he wrote an article about how many people he speculated were in jobs that they knew were unnecessary. People were in jobs where they knew if their job was eliminated, the company would move along fine at no loss. And yet they stayed in the jobs because they needed the paycheck. And the article went viral and got translated into a dozen languages around the world. Well, after that, just in 2019, he published a book by the same title. And again, I cannot tell you the title because it's got a profanity in it and you're good church people. But he wrote a book about, about people who were in jobs that they hated and felt meaningless and knew that the company could survive without them, but they stayed anyway. He described a guy uh, in Spain who was uh, called in for a longevity award, an award for staying with a company for a long time, and the guy did not show up to the award ceremony. And somebody do, started doing research and discovered that the man had not shown up for work in six years, though he continued to be paid all that time. Don't get any ideas, that one ended in a lawsuit. But, but the, we're in a season where finding a way to get around work is seen as clever. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Fred, who works over at the Home Depot here, and he says uh, they are hiring young employees at higher rates of pay than they ever had before, and most of them are not even staying a single year. Th there's, a, there's a new urgency to find ways to get income without work. I know it myself because I teach at a little university and all of us have heard students make excuses for not turning papers in and needing delays. We've all had the kids say, you know, my, my uncle died and so I need a couple extra weeks. And you, you look at it and you go, didn't your uncle die last semester? How many uncles do you have? But, but I've never before seen the number of students that I, that I now see saying, I, I need to turn my paper in two or three weeks late because I broke up with my girlfriend. 
The, the level of excuse making is at a, a different place than it ever has been before. There, there's a, a new resistance to work that the church ought to be able to answer. Because we have the story, we have the narrative that explains where the rejection of work came from. We were made for work. A happy, perfect existence includes work. But when we break relationship with the Creator, the, the consequence is that work becomes difficult. We now till the soil by the sweat of our brow. And it's in reconnecting with the Creator that the, the grape is connected to the vine and receives nutrients naturally so that we can live lives without worry. Not without challenge, but without worry. And Jesus wants to invite us into a place where we learn to work again. Not in an exhausting, meaningless, painful way, but in a way that's purposeful. In a way that involves calling. And I'll tell you what calling is. Calling is, is discerning what God wants you to do and only packing for that journey exactly what you need so that you see God's hand in all that you do and you realize that the creator of the universe is watching over the tasks that he has given you. Let me read you a definition of uh, calling that comes from a, a Christian writer named Oz Guinness. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction and live, and live this out as a response to his summons and service. Calling is this, this sense of finding a place in life where we know God is blessing what we do so that what we do is not merely a, a task and a means to an end, not, not merely a paycheck, but a sense of inviting the creator of the universe into our daily experience. I don't know if they do it anymore, but it used to be that offices would have a, a day once a year where they'd have a bring your child to work day. And the office would be filled with little kids running around watching what mom and dad did at work. And this, you know, it, it changed the dynamics of the office a little bit. People watched their language a little bit. Maybe not as much work got done. But kids got to see what parents did at the office. Well, I would suggest we need to have a bring God to work day. And it needs to be every day. Where we invite the creator of the universe into our workspaces to watch over what we do. To guide our daily conversations and interactions. To give purpose to that which would otherwise be meaningless. To do all things to honor Christ because in everything it's Him that we're serving. That's the, that's the calling. That's what calling does. Uh, there, there was a season in church history back in the, the 16th century where the church had separated out living as a priest or a missionary or a, a monk from, uh, from normal what they would call secular professions. And the reformers realized that that was not God's intention for our work. God's intention was not that a few special people would be able to do work that counted and everybody else would just have to make the best of it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way. He said, a cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. 
if you work at the shoe store at the mall, you are the bishop of shoes. God has put you in a place where He wants you to be to bless your daily activities. They are not merely a means to an end. They are the place in which you invite God into your daily existence to reconnect to the vine. Calling is different than job. The way, the way I pack for vacation is different than the way my wife packs for vacation. When, when, when I pack for vacation, I run through the closet as fast as I humanly can, like a tornado, and grab whatever objects I run into first, and I throw them all in the suitcase and then close it so it didn't take too much time. My wife packs precisely and specifically she has lists with check boxes. She rolls things up so they're perfectly efficiently stored in the suitcase. She packs exactly the right snacks to eat. She packs the right neck pillow so that if she sleeps on the plane, she doesn't get a stiff neck. Everything is sorted and organized and planned. When we arrive at our destination, my wife is well-rested because she's napped on the plane. She's eaten healthy snacks on the way there. She's got exactly what she needs for the trip. When I arrive, my neck hurts, I'm hungry, and I don't have my toothbrush. And my kids say to me, Papa, how come you don't seem happy? And the reason is, gosh, it's her fault. The reason is, she has taken this on purposefully, and I have not. And that's the difference between calling and just having a job. Just having a job is taking whatever you can get just to, just to have a paycheck. Calling is waiting on God to tell you where you're going to go and to tell you what you need to get there so that you don't amass, uh, amass junk that you don't need. You don't go chasing after accolades and praise of other people. You take only what you need for the journey so that when you get there, you have exactly what you need without worry. That's what Jesus wants to do in our workplace. He wants us to reconnect to the vine so that He can provide for us. He wants to pack only specifically what we need and not try to accumulate wealth and junk, not try to chase after other people's praise, but only live for Him. To Invite God to work every day. And if we do that, we will restore a sense of meaning and purpose to our daily existence that has been lost in the modern era. In the coming weeks, that's what we're going to look at together. If you have a friend who doesn't like their job or is on the hunt for a job, before they commit, invite them to Real Life Church. And over the weeks to come, let's talk about calling. Let's talk about what Jesus wants to do in our work. Pray with me. Lord, I do thank you that you call us to follow you, and you call us to follow you every day. We invite you into our daily experience. Teach us to live for more than just a paycheck. Teach us to live for more than just getting the job done, but instead to look for your calling superimposed over our daily responsibilities. Guide our conversations and our interactions. Guide our work. Guide our prayer life as we work. And Jesus, through your blessing of our work, may we experience more and more of who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
God bless you. Go be the church.